1: This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am your host, David Rothkoff, and I am in New York City. Joining me, all from Washington, D.C., I believe, we have... Ed Luce of the Financial Times. You're back in Washington, right, Ed?
0: I, I am indeed, and and um, I, I wouldn't be anywhere else. Yeah, no.
1: And why? And why <laughs> would you indeed? Uh, that Not lap, today. Yeah, exactly. That laugh comes today. from Evelyn Farkas of the German Marshall Fund, also in Washington, who wouldn't be anywhere else. Although, maybe you would be. Would you like to leave Washington right now?
2: No, no, I would not. I feel I'm. I'm performing some kind of mm-hmm. patriotic duty.
1: Well, that's, you, uh, you are indeed. And also with us, the Prince of Spandex, Joe <laughs> <Cerecione>.
3: <laughs> Hello, David. I'm in Washington too, but I am leaving. I am fleeing Washington for the Midwest. I'll be in Milwaukee and Cedar Rapids later this week. Wow, that's very um, all-American of you. And <laughs>
1: I think that's great. So guys, you know, there are a lot of things we could talk about here. Um, I, 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 was, I was thinking back, you know, when we started this podcast, or even when I started the podcast that we did at F- Foreign Policy, which was, a, I don't know, four years ago, something like that. Um, you know, I'd wake up in the morning and think, oh, I got a podcast. I'd look at a newspaper. I might check <laughs> Twitter once or twice during the morning. And then I'd go in. Now I do the podcast I put on Twitter because I, I assume the news is going to change in the course of the podcast. Um, and, you know, and we wanted to have a little bit of a shelf life, but still, you don't want to be too far behind it. But, you know, I think there's this kind of, there's there's this big shift in the gestalt, you know? In the past week, we've gone from, or in the past 10 days, say, we've gone from a country in which there were some substantial portion of of people agitating that the president ought to be impeached, perhaps because he embraced Russia in 2016, perhaps because um, he, Russia helped him win the election, perhaps because he defended Russia, perhaps because he's given a whole bunch of policy benefits to the Russians, perhaps because of the fact that he's been accused of rape and sexual abuse multiple times or violating the Emoluments Clause or violating federal election laws or being a tax fraud or, I mean, you know, one of these things, but, but it wasn't a majority. You know, there were 20, 30 percent of Americans when polled who thought maybe we should impeach the president. And um, and then this Ukraine story broke. And Americans learn two things. One, that it's Ukraine and not the Ukraine, as we knew. Hmm. But, but they, they, they just, they've, they've now learned that. And the second thing is that the president, on a regular basis, is breaking big laws. He doesn't know that he's breaking the big laws, or maybe he does. Um, but But it's getting clearer and clearer. And in this particular case it was very hard for people to defend. Um, and and now everything seems to have changed. There are polls out today that show a majority of Americans support an impeachment inquiry, and the only people who are defending the president among the Republicans are, you know, kind of wingnuts uh, or loyal soldiers uh, who are not, you know, as, as one a uh, column I saw today described it. They're not the 1927 New York Yankees. You know, when you when when you're rolling out Jim Jordan, um, and Stephen Miller, and Kevin McCarthy as your big defenders, uh, and and you're not finding people of gravitas. And Mitch McConnell is notoriously silent on this, except to say that if the House impeached the president, he'd have to hold the trial in the Senate something has changed in the country. And so I thought I would start by asking each of you to briefly describe what you think has changed, Ed.
0: Well, um, first of all, there's leadership from the Democrats. You know, I mean, I think there's sort of um, hypercautious um, stance of waiting to see where public opinion is and then following it. Um, has, has kind of been obliterated by the revelations, the speed and the gravity of revelations um, over Ukraine gate. Um, and uh, Pelosi sort of taking, um, taking charge and saying, okay, we're going to begin impeachment inquiries last Tuesday, uh, albeit in a fairly tentative, I mean, I, I, it seemed like her mouth was drying out, but she was, she was clearly coming off some fairly heated uh, internal discussions with members of her caucus. But the fact that the, she, she nevertheless made a plain statement um, uh, and uh, launched the process and, and it was on the grounds of principle rather than politics, I think has been noticed. I think also, it, of course, this is an intuitive, easily graspable um, uh, high crime and misdemeanor or a series of high crimes and misdemeanors. People get what happened in that phone call. They get what Trump's trying to do to Biden. And, you know, it doesn't require um, reading ins and outs over two years of leaks and indictments and so forth that you have with the Mueller report. This is something you can understand immediately. And third, of course, this happened very recently from the Oval Office, not as with the Russia collusion um, allegations, mostly while he was a candidate. So I think that the the climate has changed and the numbers are absolutely breathtaking. I mean, to go from 37 percent supporting impeachment inquiries to 55% is, is breathtaking. Um, I just hope I very much hope that the kinds of indiscipline and particularly sort of baronial chairman behaviors between different committees doesn't, doesn't take over that this remains a very focused, very disciplined, um, and very effective uh, impeachment inquiry. um, In which case I would expect those numbers to, To stay
1: where they are or grow. Uh, Before Nixon's impeachment uh, process began, nineteen percent of Americans supported impeachment. Just impeachment and impeachment inquiry is a slightly different thing, but it's a it's a it's an interesting metric. Evelyn, what do you think's changed?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I would agree with everything Ed just said. You know, it's just the immediacy of what happened in front of our eyes while the president's in the White House. The signs of the cover-up, you know, I mean, it was enough to read the phone transcript, but then on top of it to get the witness blow the whistleblowers account, where essentially the the transcripts have been you know taken and put into a highly classified code word system, which means essentially they almost don't exist. Um, and and that that is also corroborating evidence that they knew there was something wrong with what the president had done. they being, some people around him who have access to a code word computer, which is, again, disturbing. Um, so I think, you know, there's signs of, obviously, it's right at, in, in front of us is this kind of mafioso kind of, uh, you know, quid pro quo pressure tactic. Then there's the sign in the in the whistleblower letter of the cover-up. So I think it's just out there for everyone to see. and And I think underlying all of this, you know, the reason it's come out now, I think, and with this with this call was because on top of whatever Trump did in the call, because I have to believe that there are a bunch of other transcripts that have been hidden away now from from, from public or regular government eyeballs, even, that contain equally disturbing things that the president has said. But the fact that this one came out now, I think, is also linked to the fact that he held up that Ukraine assistance, and that assistance was going to expire, you know, within weeks and then days. And I know this because people approached me saying, "Hey, can you help us? Something's happened. This money's frozen. Can you call over to the Hill?" Which I did, and you know, they and the Hill said we're on it. Um, but the point being that. That was an added incentive, I think, for those people who care about Ukraine to be to say, okay, enough is enough, and so you know, to talk to the whistleblower. Hmm.
3: Joe. good, good, excellent question, David. Thank you very much. Because we have had a change of state here, you know, why did the simmering? pot suddenly boil over into steam. what 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 is it? What conditions changed? And the first is for I think what Evelyn and Ed have said it's the black and white betrayal of this phone call. It is crystal clear. you cannot miss it. You can explain it in one sentence. the President of the United States used taxpayer dollars to deny critical security aid to a U.S partner um, in in need in order to extort a a, a personal, Political gain—it's—it's it's as clear as day. Everybody can understand this. So that's number one. Two, I think this pushed the the Democratic caucus in the House to move from the the sort of the progressives and the and the you might call them aware Democrats who've been pushing for impeachment from the beginning to now include the so-called security Democrats. Those seven. Um, a newly elected f- freshman who wrote the letter that that sort of broke the dam into the center of the Democratic Party and it finally pushed the the leadership to do something they had not not wanted to do and to give them the political courage to do it. And the third thing I think you're seeing is the the the, the erosion and perhaps collapse of the um, of Trump's. Governing base, not his base outside, but those people he's actually been governing with—his staff, his supporters, his allies—and and, and you know this two and a half years of of bullying and and. And, and, and the way he's dealt with his staff, churning through senior people, junior people, not being able to finally is enacting a toll. He's got very few people there who are willing to defend him, very few people who feel loyal. And then it shows up on the Sunday talk shows where you don't see, as you said, any Republican Party stalwarts, any historically serious people defending him. You just have the 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 those political hacks who still cling to Trump, but even some of those are beginning to peel away. Those are the changes I see.
1: Um, All all good observations.
3: Uh,
1: You know, Ed, it seems to me that the White House has been caught kind of flat-footed by this. And Trump, beyond sort of bleeding like a little lamb on Twitter, or how or howling at the moon on Twitter is is um, is not able to come up with much. And I think he's treating it like he has treated past things, saying this is a dem setup. this is a witch hunt. Um, uh, you know, uh, they're lying. None of this is true. And what about biden and 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 none of it's working, and nobody's sort of coming to his defense and 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 some of the things he's tweeting are just making it worse. You know, he said uh, bef- you know, in the uh, period right before we taped this or, or recorded this, that um, uh, you know if if he gets thrown out, there you know there might be a civil war in the country. and and that adam Schiff, who's who Schiff, who's leading the investigation, um, should be he he raised the question whether he should be arrested for treason. And, and even some Republicans, like uh, Representative Kinzinger, have said, you crossed the line there, buddy. Um, and, and it just seems to me Trump didn't really realize what's, what's happened here. He doesn't seem to have recognized that the tide may be turning. Do you share that view?
0: Yes, I do. I mean, in addition to howling at the moon and bleaching like a lamb, I think he's been trying to growl like a wolf. I mean, you know, the saying, I want to meet uh, the whistleblower and the people who leaked to the whistleblower, I want to meet them um, put together with the remarks he made to diplomats in New York last week, supposedly closed door where, uh, you know, he talked about essentially taking out spies and shooting them. Uh, He's clearly terrified that there are gonna be more whistleblowers Um, and that there are going to be more leakers. Um, It's very clear that the call he made to Zelensky on July the 25th was not something supported by anybody around him, including John Bolton, um, uh, who left a few weeks later, uh, fired or resigned, whichever you take it to be. Uh, Dan Coates, who resigned three days later or handed in his resignation on July the 28th and left August 16th. Staffers who are terrified of the call, you know, putting it into the super secure server for highly classified information. That Trump is essentially, for the time being, his own war room. Now, uh, you know, there are are a whole bunch of people who must be giving him advice not to self-impeach on Twitter, Um, and yet there he is giving overwhelming reasons to any sort of prevaricating frontliner, blue-dog-type Democrats, or indeed vulnerable um, Republicans. Overwhelming reasons to see Trump as a a national security threat um, by threatening, um, uh, dropping very unsubtle hints about civil war and so forth. So what I imagine at some point will happen is he will set up a war room, um, a Clinton, uh, supposedly a Clinton-style war room, um, but it'll be headed by somebody like Cory Lewandowski or Steve Bannon, who have the civil war, um, mm. have the civil war rhetoric on their brains. So it will be exactly the opposite of the Clinton war room. The Clinton war room was, let's show me doing my job, focusing on the ordinary concerns of the American people, not talking about impeachment, except at key moments. Uh, but just, just showing that I'm here for the American people. I'm not obsessed with this psychodrama. And for the most part, uh, perhaps to some degree in spite of Clinton, that worked because there was a whole team, there was a whole strategy behind it. Trump is incapable of having that kind of operation. He's going to play out his deepest um on Twitter. And the more he does, the more he threatens people and calls them traitors um, and calls legally protected anonymous whistleblowers spies who ought to be taken mm-hmm. out and whatever, um, and uh, a demand to meet his accuser at face to face etc, the more he pushes uh, anybody who 's wavering into the right let 's really step up this impeachment inquiry um, so i, I can 't see trump i can 't see to sort of broaden out a little bit your um, shepherd and wolf or uh, um, analogy, I, I can't see this leopard changing his spots. The spots are just getting brighter and brighter.
1: Okay, that's it for analogies with Trump and animals. <laughs> um, I don't know. Really, I, really no, no. I mean, we've really covered a lot of ground here. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, Evelyn, you mentioned something uh, that I you know I I think is is revealing about all of this in several ways, which is that one of the things the whistleblower has revealed is um, the existence of a uh, process by which some of these White House uh, memoranda of calls uh, and meetings have been placed in uh, code word uh, clearance required. a a secure um, server. Um, And on on the one hand, this reveals that there is some awareness of guilt, right? They're they're trying to hide these things, that the the comments from within the the security community are these are not the kind of things that normally end up getting that kind of high classification. Um, Clearly, they're trying to tuck them away someplace. On the other hand, it reveals they don't really know how this stuff works because in order to set this kind of thing up, there has to be a log of who has access to it and who goes and gets the information and who doesn't. Um, and so there's kind of a paper trail about who's using this, whether anybody ever gets to see that is a, is 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 a, is another matter. Um, and then on top of that, the existence of it raises a question and we're beginning to get to the answer, which you posed, which is, How many times did this happen? And apparently, it it happened with regard to Ukraine, it happened with regard to Putin, and it happened with regard to MBS, which may, in the end, be the most damaging of them all, because, of course, we know MBS masterminded the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. And um, there's actually a law that says that if the United States intelligence community comes upon information in which... A uh, U.S. Uh, resident or person within the U.S. is put at risk by behavior by foreign government. They actually have to tell them. You know, we we actually have to protect people who live here, um, which would which would be <laughs> Wait, yet really, a, which would be yet another thing that they didn't do. Um, but it you know it's it, uh, the the way I characterized it, in my own mind and elsewhere, is that in in some ways we we look at this revelation. Um, as a case unto itself. But in other ways, to me, it may be like when Alexander Butterfield, who nobody knew during the Watergate era, who was, I think, the Deputy White House Chief of Staff, was called in and somebody asked him a question (laughs) that he didn't expect to get asked. And that was, Mm. was President Nixon recording the conversations? And Butterfield said, I wish you hadn't asked me that question the answer is yes. And at that moment, everybody, you know, <laughs> the whole Watergate thing changed because it was like, right. oh. And, and and so to me, this 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 has a little bit of, of an echo of that, right? Because it says somewhere there is a server with the crown jewels of Trump wrongdoing in it.
2: Yeah, I'm, yeah, in, in in a sense. Um, I mean, I don't think it's the sum total, but yeah. Sorry.
1: No, no, I'm I'm just asking you what your reaction is to that that uh, that whole thing. You know, this is a whole. You yeah. know, it's fascinating because this is a whole world that we're not usually exposed to. I mean, we you, all of us have been exposed to it, but, 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 um, the, you know, the the average American citizen that doesn't know what code word is, doesn't know what secret servers are about, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And and yet somehow this this is a presidency that's going to be brought down potentially by all this kind of wonkish stuff that, you know, people like you have been spending your whole life dealing with.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, certainly it's not the sum total of all of the presidential malfeasance out there, because we know that. the president's done all kinds of things with emoluments and, you know, there there are many areas. But when it comes to national security, certainly um, he's in a lot of hot water and and most of that, the, the kind of the, okay, I'm not going to do an analogy with breadcrumbs and hot water, but... Anyway, that 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 maybe the repository for the wrongdoing on the national security front can largely be found in the in that code word computer where the transcripts of of these you know bad for lack of a better word you know criminal intent conversations are located. Certainly, as you mentioned, we have the Putin call, uh, a couple well any number of Putin calls. We have the Saudi calls. Who knows with other countries and. And at the same time, we also have, uh, you know, I don't understand why to this date we haven't subpoenaed, it, or at least to my knowledge, you know, the interpreters. I know it's unusual and I wouldn't call for it normally, but the interpreters who were with Trump every time he met with Putin, you know, they should have been, um, you know, hauled in to Congress, basically. And maybe they now will be because there's a proper impeachment that goes beyond kind of the, the pre— Trump presidency uh, really full bore into well, uh, although Mueller's did as well. But but now that we have a new focus and a fresh approach, and the intelligence committee committee involved, because I think that's also an additional helpful factor, the chairman there being a, a, a really hard charging uh, guy who doesn't um, mess around. Um, you know, maybe we'll we'll find out more. Hmm.
1: Maybe. I mean, what what do, what's your sort of take on that aspect of this, Joe? You know, well, is there a thread there to pull on
3: or, or are we going to get stymied? There, there, there's a thread you pull on it you could make a Whole cloth out of this thread. There's no question about it. You said in a previous show, David, that you were a, a teenager when Watergate transpired. I was a little older and was watching this, and I remember that Butterfield testimony. It was one of those things we we would do. We, you know, we could at, at night we go home and watch uh, uh, the 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 PBS station, and you could watch the the hearings that were unfolding. And Butterfield, that was a blockbuster. But it took weeks. I may be wrong. Maybe a few months to actually get the tapes. Remember, there was this period where Nixon released the transcripts, or what he said, were the transcripts of this of the tapes, you know, piled high on his desk. But of course, in one of them, there was a famous 17 and a half minute gap, and that we eventually got, and that was the damning evidence. And I think we are going to get the transcripts eventually of these calls, and they are going to be so much worse than the um, the record, memo for the record that we currently have. Remember, he also has, and we might get into this, transcripts of his calls with MBS, transcripts of his calls with Putin. Putin has threatened the president of the United States. He's put out tweets that says, you have no right to release the transcripts of our conversations without my permission, as, <laughs> which is a, a bizarre thing to say, but that is what Putin is saying. So you can tell that he's concerned about these these transcripts. So there is a, a lot more d- digging to go to go on here, and I think there are people that are willing to help us dig. And they're coming from all corners. One is the whistleblower, who, as, as you know, Evelyn knows, you could see that this is a quality professional. That he, he or she, I think it's a he, wrote a memo the way we would write a memo as professional staffers or, 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 or defense officials, very careful, as if we're writing to very serious people, not the actual president of the United States, to, to make his case. There's those people, there's there's also former officials coming out. Remember, you have not seen a single former Trump official come out to his defense. No former secretaries of state or secretary of, of defense. And his today... Monday, his national, his former national security advisor, John Bolton, turned on him. So so I think you're going to see people increasingly being willing to come out and give testimony and and contemporaneous recollections of things they saw that the president did. And that is just going to pile on and pile on. I don't see any way that Trump is going to avoid impeachment by the House. And as you pointed out, when you're starting off now at 53 percent approval for impeachment, the, the support for impeachment. And the president is just going to grow as we pull on this thread well right and you know
1: if you're Mitch McConnell you're somebody who cares about the future of the Republican party um, you might think I don't want mm-hmm. this to go to April May or June and not have a candidate for president have this thing so wound our candidate for re-election that you know we lose to whomever and 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 so, get it. you know, the Democrats want to get this done quickly. And it'll be very telling to see how quickly the Republicans want to get it done. And, of course, Ed, this brings us back to something that is inevitably at the core of this, sometimes for ill, sometimes for good. And that's politics. Uh, of course, if the American people shift in their views so that their political leaders uh, finally step up, that's good. Um, but there's been a lot of political, calculus at the center of this thing, you've written about it. You've written about how this might end up helping Elizabeth Warren. And I think one thing that's quite interesting about this is how this is affecting Vice President Biden's campaign. He also seems to have been a little bit flat-footed on this, not sure how to respond, saying it's a bad thing, then treating it like he'll let somebody else deal with it, then having his team go and call up media and saying, don't repeat these stories. Don't 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 have Giuliani on because you're just you know giving these lies fair time. Uh, and now the 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 you know the stories are coming out and the 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 Trump argument is being debunked that Biden went there to pressure the prosecutor not to look into Hunter Biden's ties with this dubious company. Um, but having said that. And, and and again, I'm not advocating this. I'm just really trying to take an objective look at what the political implications of this are. But having said that, um, Biden himself may have done the right thing, but it 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 still may reveal that what Hunter Biden mm-hmm. was doing was not so great. Um, and yeah, you know, it's so so the, it's very complicated what the political consequences of this are. You've been thinking about it. What do you think?
0: Um, well, I think you know there's going to be lots of pence 2019 banners going up um, around town. Um, but um, th- facetiousness apart, Biden's Biden's in a very, very difficult um, situation here. I- I've no doubt, you know, that when the the, the money numbers for Q3 um, fundraising um, come out, it will show a spike for for Biden in the last few days because there's going to be a lot of sympathy money coming in. Um, and, um, you know, he's, he's been the focal point of the news. Um, but I think more generally, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of a problem for, for Biden because Trump's going to lash out more and more about the Hunter Biden thing. Giuliani keeps bringing it up. Um, and the media keep focusing on it. And quite rightly, all the, the media reports on the circumstances in which um, Hunter Biden was hired, hired by Burisma. Um, uh, you know, have made, made it very clear that nothing illegal happened and that there's absolutely no evidence, or I don't think any credible suspicion, that his vice president, Joe Biden, was attempting to help his son. Quite the opposite, in fact. The corrupt prosecutor, uh, Ukrainian prosecutor at the time, Viktor Shaukin, um, was doing the opposite. He was not investigating um, problematic um, uh assets um uh, assets in ukraine one of which was burisma, burisma so biden was actually not helping his son at all by pushing for the firing of Shorkin. he was um looking for an effective prosecutor um who would investigate that company amongst many many others um uh, and it should also be mentioned that the british were at at that time investigating burisma and had frozen its uk assets uh, the IMF was demanding the investigation of Brizmer and others. So, so that whole sort of idea that Biden was intervening on his son's behalf is completely the opposite of what was happening. I doubt either crossed Biden's mind. The problem is isn't that something illegal was going on. But the problem is what is legal, and you know what 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 meritocratic process would Ukraine, Ukraine's gas and oil company uh, have undergone to choose. Two Westerners, one of whom was the son of the Vice President of the United States. Clearly, he got that job because his dad was vice president. He got the job at MBOA Bank, headquartered in Wilmington, Delaware, um, when Joe Biden was still the senator for De- De- Delaware because his dad was the senator. Um, he got on the board of many of, of many um, outfits, including Amtrak. Amtrak Joe, remember, because his dad's the senator. He was on the board of um, Sidwell, um, the very, the very um, fancy, the, the probably Washington's toniest private school. Um, it, it's, it's what's normal about what I call the soft nepotism of Washington culture that I think, you know, it causes some, uh, some um, revulsion outside of the beltway uh, because it's a very neutral backscratching culture. And um, I don't think as time goes on, that's going to focus on this. However, unfair, any false equivalence might be with what the Trump children have been doing. Um, uh, I don't think that focus is going to be helping Biden. And Elizabeth Warren is is one clear beneficiary. It It was a coincidence last Wednesday, the first full day of the impeachment process, that that was also the first day she went ahead of Biden in two national polls and had gone ahead um, in, in some Iowa New Hampshire polls as well in previous days. If 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 Trump were to be, in the unlikely event Trump were to be convicted or or even more unlikely resigned, what would Biden's campaign consist of? Biden is the I'm going to replace the aberration called Trump. Um, Warren's campaign is built on much bigger ideas than simply opposition to Trump. Um, uh, and so I, I think she's probably going to benefit from from this process, but that's that's by no means that's been by no means a surefire prediction. This is an incredibly dynamic situation. It really does here in DC feel like you know we're in the middle of a spy thriller.
3: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Um...
1: But, but please don't attack Ed for just telling you what you think <laughs>
2: <That's true. laughs>
1: was, you know, what he was trying to do was give an objective analysis. And there's some people out there who say if you say the name Biden in conjunction with Ukraine, you're playing into <laughs> Trump's hand. But we can't not explore that. We have to, you know, you, you may have your opinion. Other people have different opinions. Um, I, I happen to think Ed is right. But, you know, other 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 people will draw their conclusions. We don't know. This is happening in real time too quickly. So let me, you know, go on and ask each one of you sort of specialized questions here. Following that vein, um, one of the things, uh, Evelyn, that that most people don't quite understand, is what do we mean when we say Ukraine and these who, these Ukrainian leaders? Because people may remember back to twenty sixteen when. Paul Manafort was hired by people in Ukraine, changed Ukraine policy in the Republican platform in 2016. Um, and, but, but, but some of the people that were his sponsors were actually acting on behalf of the Russians. And we, we, we've seen Trump making statements, even in his meeting with Zelensky, the president of Ukraine last week, where he was still hewing to the Russian line. It's not like all of a sudden Trump has you know had a revelation here, and he's like, I want to help Ukraine to stand up to russia is it it's it's a lot more complicated no. than
2: yeah right? it, it's it's actually super disturbing, David, because what he is doing, what President Trump is doing by Pointing the finger at a possible, you know, um, a server from CrowdStrike or some weird conspiracy theory involving Ukraine, and that somehow the whole, as he calls it, Russia, um, what does he call it? Not Russia Gate, he calls it like a Russia hoax. hoax. He hoax. says hoax. that all started, that all started in Ukraine. He actually wants us all, the U.S. public, ultimately to come to the conclusion that. <laughs> Ukraine is responsible for whatever happened to him and his campaign in 2016. Okay. And this, of course, is a plot coming straight from the Kremlin. And I don't know how it got to Trump's ears, you know, how many mouths were in the middle between Vladimir Putin and the Kremlin henchmen and Donald Trump. You know, it may have just been one Russian to Giuliani, one Ukrainian that's friendly to Russia. Because remember, Giuliani's running around meeting with a lot of people. A bunch of these people are people who were cronies of the Kremlin. There are Ukrainians still in Ukraine who are old guard guys, right? So um, now, mo- now most of the people who have been cited in the papers are... The guys in the middle who were kind of in the transition working with Poroshenko, who was supposed to clean up Ukraine and obviously didn't do a good enough job, as far as the Ukrainian people are concerned, because <laughs> he was booted out of office, voted out of office. But, um, but the, the reality is that this whole—what what President Trump is getting at, ultimately, he wants to muddy the waters about Manafort's involvement in Ukraine, about what happened in Ukraine— and ultimately somehow make, again, I'm repeating myself, re- Ukraine responsible for everything we accuse Russia of. And this is highly dangerous. And this, again, just like everything so far, only benefits the Kremlin.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, as, as does almost everything that that, that Trump uh, does. There is one scenario, Joe, though, where the, 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 the Kremlin is gonna have to react in a slightly different way than it has. Um, And that is if Trump actually goes down. Mm -hmm. And at a a certain point, and, and, you know, we conceivably could be close to that point, their calculus has got to change with regard to Trump as well. Um, And, you know, in fact, I said at the beginning, I'm looking at Twitter. And as we are sitting here, and we record this on a Monday afternoon, as we are sitting here, a, a new Quinnipiac poll came out. And in that one, it 47% of Americans said they would support impeachment of the president, not an inquiry, impeachment. And 47% said they were uh, would not support it right now. But a week ago, it was 57% against and 37% for, which mm-hmm. is a massive change in a week. So... The Russians have bet for three years that mm-hmm.
3: backing Trump was in their interests. What happens when it's not? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's pronounced Quinnipiac, by the way, Quinnipiac poll. I grew up uh, near the Quinnipiac River in Connecticut, and uh, Quinnipiac College does those polls. What did, what did uh, I say? I think you said Quinnipiac, uh, but I... there's a qui. Yeah, I swear, I is, it, to say it, is it
2: still Quinnipiac. at Quinnipiac or at, or at my alma mater, Franklin or Marshall College? Because there's Ooh. a Franklin or Marshall College poll as well.
3: Ah, do they move? Can I just like? say I'm, I'm delighted? Delighted that, it.
0: that somebody else's pronunciation has been corrected. <laughs> yeah, but
1: it's the only me.
3: time I'll do it. It's I shouldn't have. Yeah. He could have corrected let's, it in a post-program edit. But let's focus on let's, the question. Let's be
1: clear. I'm from New Jersey. I'm impaired. The fact that I speak <laughs> English, you understand, is a big step forward. Go ahead, Joe. <laughs>
3: um, well, the Kremlin's got to bind here, because remember, this, the second in command, the, the vice president, who presumably would become president should Trump have to resign or be impeached, Mike Pence also had two perfect conversations with Zelensky. So he also might be c- caught up in this scandal. Um, the, 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 the,
1: so so what you're saying is Mike Pence is a real person and not an inflatable <laughs> Because <laughs> I thought he was one of those things, those inflatable dolls that you put in the car so you could drive in the multi-vehicle lane, the multi-occupancy That's vehicle. That's right. Lane.
3: That's right. I know we haven't That's heard terrible. We haven't heard much from him, but um, he's he has a role. He has a constitutionally mandated role here. You, if you want to get rid of him, you have to impeach him too. So there's there's a problem here. But for, for the Russians. You know, they do not have a winning hand here. They have banked so heavily on Trump, have gotten so much out of Trump. Um, If he goes, there is no, well, what their second play is is to continue whence they started. Remember, their original gambit was not to have Trump win. It was simply to discredit the system, to discredit democracy in the eyes of those who are pushing for more democracy in Russia in Eastern Europe, and that they would have to fall back to that game plan. It didn't, doesn't. It was only secondary to them that they had a pro-Putin um, puppet in, in the White House. What they really were after, which is, was just discrediting Western-style democracy, disrupting the the West, and they would have to continue with that. And they have a number of cards to play. Unfortunately, in European elections, that can they can t- continue that gambit.
1: Uh, it, m- much, much more upheaval to come in the hours and days ahead, and we will attempt to cover it with special um, uh, podcasts uh, if, if needs be. Um, uh, we've noticed that there's been a big, by the way, surge in podcast listenership in the past couple of weeks. And and, and that's a sign that people are engaging. They're trying to get to the bottom of this. Uh, And I thank you guys for helping to bring us up to speed in a a very difficult, complicated, uh, and fluid time. For those of you who want more of this or to hear those other podcasts that we've got coming up, You go to the DSRnetwork.com and there are podcasts, there are columns that we have had written, there are um, uh, uh, all sorts of other kinds of things. And you can sign up and become a member and support us. And look, you know, that would be a good thing to do because we're, uh, I think, trying to do something nobody else does, which is spend 45 minutes, 50 minutes going in depth, breaking these things down, not in little sound bites. Um, uh, not repetitively in the way a news uh, broadcast uh, television organization must do it, um, uh, with real experts, and uh, and that's why we're you know particularly lucky to have on shows like this um, Joe Srincion of the of the Ploughshares Fund and Evelyn Farkas of the German Marshall Fund and Edward Luce of the Financial Times. Thank you guys and uh, join us again